This is the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020. I'm your host, Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, I'll be updating you on campus and local news, and then we'll be hearing from KCSU Assistant Sports Director Jonathan Gillum. Then, we'll be listening to a recap of the debate between Senate candidates John Hickenlooper and Cory Gardner, and my co-host Coda will be delivering some national news after that. To conclude the show, Coda will be also giving some updates on COVID-19, and I'll update us on the strange things happening in the world. Let's move right into campus and local news. Starting off with local news, all evacuation notices, mandatory uh, and voluntary, have been lifted for the Cameron Peak Fire, the largest fire in Colorado history, according to Karen Nicholson at the Denver Post. Larimer County officials have lifted all mandatory and voluntary evacuations for the Cameron Peak Fire and a spot fire started by the East Troublesome Fire, known as the Thompson Zone, that burned into Larimer County, the sheriff's office said Monday. Fire officials said in a Monday morning update, quote, coming home after a wildfire can be difficult, not only the physical ramifications, but the emotional ramif- uh, the emotional toll it can take. The damage to property is unknown to many homeowners. We sympathize with those who have been affected by these fires and remind you to watch out for any hazards, including fire and weakened trees, downed lines, smoldering materials of any sort, end quote. The Cameron Peak Fire has burned... 208,913 acres, or 326 square miles, since starting on August 13th. It is 85% contained. The cause of the fire remains under investigation. The Thompson Zone fire has burned over nearly 5,000 acres since starting on October 22nd, according to fire officials. It is 31% contained. Fort Collins and Loveland intensive care units are filling up as the growing number of COVID-19 cases pushes Larimer County into a high-risk category, according to Pat Ferrier at the Coloradoan. On Friday, Larimer County reported 81 new cases of coronavirus, the second-highest number of cases in a single day since the pandemic began. Intensive care units at Banner and UC Health Hospitals in Loveland and Fort Collins were at 91% capacity, according to the Larimer County Department of Health and Environment. Not all those occupying ICU beds are COVID-19 patients. The county dashboard reported 29 COVID-19 patients in hospitals within the county as of Friday. And if the infection rate does not trend down, intensive care units could exceed capacity in January or sooner if contacts increase over the upcoming holidays. Dr. Jonathan Samet, dean of the Colorado School of Public Health, said in a news release, quote, There's a small window to improve transmission control over the next few weeks to limit increasing infections and avoid peaks that constrain health care capacity over the next three months, a substantial increase in transmission control is needed. If national estimates are correct and about one-third of all coronavirus hospitalizations will require ICU-level care, Northern Colorado could still find itself hundreds of beds shy of what it needs. Northern Colorado had an alternative care site set up at the ranch in case hospitals were overrun with COVID patients until early October when Governor Jared Polis closed the facility. It was one of five alternative care sites set up throughout the state, but the overflow need never materialized. Lori Hodges, Director of Emergency Management for Larimer County, said that the Colorado Convention Center is still set up as an alternative care site, and Larimer County patients would go to that facility if local hospitals fill up. Hodges said, quote, This would be the same if we had the ranch site opened, as they would want to use one center prior to opening multiple centers, end quote. The Colorado Convention Center has the capacity to expand if needed. 
Moving on to campus news, the use of what has been described as bait bikes has helped CSU's police department in arresting multiple bike thieves, according to Del Rey Ciervola at CSU Source. While campus is quieter this year because of COVID-19, 12 bikes were stolen from August 27th to September 23rd, approximately the first month of classes, along with some bike parts. More than 175 were stolen in 2019. During warm weather months, when students, faculty, and staff are more likely to ride bikes on campus, as many as 45 bikes may be stolen. The thefts are often the work of organized rings that quickly pawn or sell the bikes. They most often snatch up bikes left unlocked or not properly locked to a bike wreck, sometimes even taking parts of a bike they can access and leaving the rest behind. CSU Police Department Corporal Lance Holingston, who heads up the university's bait bike program, said, quote, At first glance, someone may think that a stolen bike here or there doesn't add up to a significant issue, but it's no small problem. Bikes are easy and fast targets that and can be a lucrative thing to steal. Since 2017, the reported value of bikes stolen on main campus is more than $360,000. And that's with a constant effort from CSUPD to stop the thefts, end quote. In the last year, Holsington started a new strategy that has led to felony arrests of suspects for bike thefts. It involves properly locking bikes implanted with GPS trackers the university tracks, and then tracking them as they are stolen. Since the start of a program, the program a year ago, CSUPD has made more than 12 felony arrests directly connected to bike thefts on main campus. As a result of those contacts, they've issued 14 felony charges and 19 misdemeanor charges, and have also connected those suspects with an additional eight misdemeanor and two felony outstanding warrants for the other jurisdictions. The program has recovered stolen bikes for students, faculty, and staff. The program will continue indefinitely, and CSUPD plans to expand it over the next year, as long as funding is available. Colorado State University's spending on research activities reached a record $407 million for fiscal year 2020, a 2% increase over the last year, according to Mary Guiden at CSU Source. The trajectory was welcome news, given that the COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in scaling back some research projects. Estimates show that 432 projects were shut down or affected by the pandemic in April 2020, based on a survey of CSU faculty. The number of active projects at that time, however, remained very strong at 4,290. More recently, the number of research projects affected by the pandemic has been re reduced to 227, according to the Office of Vice President for Research. Alan Rudolph, vice president for research, said that research spending increased due to the strength of internal investments, which totaled $4.9 million, and an increase of $4.6 million in grants and contracts sponsored by the industry and nonprofit organizations over 2019. In addition, the university expended gifts to uh, support research in the amount of $6.5 million. Rudolph said of the equation, quote, we weathered the storm this year in the face of a global pandemic, and the result is not only positive, but a new record for the university. The increase we've seen in research spending this year is a testament to the uh, quality, breadth, and depth of our faculty, end quote. To find more about the research going on at CSU, you can visit research.colostate.edu. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU. We'll be right back.
We want to quickly remind listeners to vote today if you haven't already. The state of Colorado allows for residents to register to vote tonight before polls close. Now, for Jonathan Gillum with the RMR Sports Report. Good afternoon. This is Jonathan Gillum for KCSU Sports. Just a friendly reminder that the NHL season and the NBA season are both officially over and their new season is planned to start in January. The MLB playoffs ended with the LA Dodgers becoming the World Series champion and the MLB season is planned to restart in the spring. Just wanted to also give a friendly reminder that the NFL is dealing with COVID-19 in a way that they are constantly testing and they're constantly rescheduling games. We keep seeing that with multiple games around the league. So if you have a team that you are following, make sure you watch their schedule because it's subject to change at any time. Next, your local Denver Broncos just got a major victory on Sunday with a 31-30 win over the Chargers, a come-from-behind win. The Denver Broncos now move to 3-4 on the season. Next, I'm excited I get to make these announcements of a Mountain West update. Unfortunately, it's slightly sad because the CSU Rams fell to Fresno State 38-17. But there are still six games left on the year. This Thursday, November 5th, the CSU Rams will face the Wyoming Cowboys to keep the border war going. Also, three hours before that show, we'll have the CSU pregame show. We're going to have a special guest contest with prizes from New Belgium. For more information, follow our Instagram, Facebook, and we'll update you on air. Again, that's going to be 4 p.m. this Thursday, November 5th, the CSU pregame show. And that's all I have for sporting news. If you're missing that deep dive into sports, we have shows, podcasts, articles, and a lot of that can be found at kcsufm.com. For KCSU Sports, I'm Jonathan Gillum, and I'll catch you next time. The, pre-ga- the first pregame show for KCSU will be airing during our regular time at 4 p.m. this Thursday, like Jonathan said. You can catch the Rocky Mountain Review Thursday at 7 p.m. instead. Up next, we're going to be re-airing highlights from the Senate debate between John Hickenlooper and Cory Gardner. We'll be right back.
I think there'll be a, a, a fair amount of distortion and exaggeration. Uh, the most important thing we can do is pass relief, uh, make sure that relief gets passed out of, out of the Congress. And again, Corey and I agree on this. Actually, four days ago, uh, Corey was emphatic that he thought that COVID relief should take precedence and be a higher priority than uh, making sure that we rush through this Supreme Court nomination, which is where the Senate focus seems to be. And I think the question has to be asked, uh, if COVID relief is the most important thing, making sure that we get testing capacity and, and, and you know, the PP protective equipment, PPE for everyone, why, I mean, Corey could just say, I will not vote to support this thing, this projection, this Supreme Court nominee, uh, if, the, if indeed the, the Relief Act doesn't get passed first. And there are two senators that said yesterday that they were not going to vote for it. His, his priority in setting that priority clear would be a, a, a strong point toward getting relief. We're here in northern Colorado, where the JBS meatpacking plant saw one of the largest COVID-19 outbreaks in the state. Mr. Gardner, you bragged about getting 5,000 tests for JBS workers. Union leaders say that those tests never arrived. Uh, JBS also didn't test all its workers before reopening as it has promised. Mr. Gardner, JBS is a significant donor to your campaign. Did that company properly protect its workers and did you deliver the 5,000 tests promised? Well, thank you, Marshall, for the question. I worked very closely with the state of Colorado and Governor Polis. And in fact, uh, if you look at the record, you will see that Governor Polis said every employee at JBS who wants a test can get a test. Uh, that's not me saying it. That's not the news saying it. That's Governor Polis saying that there were tests for employees if they wanted them. We have to make sure that we're protecting employees. We have to make sure that we have personal protective equipment for our employees, whether they're working at a restaurant, whether they're working at a meatpacking plant. We also have to recognize the challenges that our food supply system went through uh, when we uh, had the initial stages of the pandemic hit. Our workers at JVS were heroes, and that's why I worked closely with the governor to make sure that we had those tests. Uh, but when Governor Hickenlooper was in office, he had a chance to get the personal protective equipment that we needed for the state and yet he refused to provide the personal protective equipment stockpile. I talked to a number of the workers at JBS, uh, and they are emphatic that they did not get testing capacity, that they were... So John Kasich, the Republican governor of Ohio, who had also expanded Medicaid, we came together not to replace the Affordable Care Act. That's, that, I never said that. He never said that. We were looking at ways that we could improve it, and especially focusing on ways that we could make the exchanges more cost-effective for people. Mr. Gardner, first for you. We're continuing to see impacts of climate change play out in Colorado in the form of devastating wildfires, record heat, and intensifying drought. You portrayed yourself as an environmental advocate in recent campaign ads, but over the last three years, you voted to roll back limits on greenhouse gas emissions for the fossil fuel industry and confirm former fossil fuel lobbyists as leaders of the EPA and the Department of the Interior. Why have you voted against climate action even as climate change continues to take a toll on your state? Well, thank you, JC. Thank you for the question. Uh, if you look at those commercials that are running on TV, they talk about the Great American Outdoors Act. This is the most important conservation legislation that has passed the United States Senate in over 50 years. It will create thousands of jobs right here in Colorado. It's the biggest infusion of money into our public lands in the history of our country. The Natural Resources Defense Council has said of that legislation that it addresses two pressing issues of our time. One, climate change, and two, biodiversity. That bill that just got signed into law addresses climate change. I've also uh, passed a, a nearly 50% increase in funding of the National Renewable Energy Laboratory right here in Colorado. 
uh, to focus on efforts to address climate change, to reduce emissions. But my plan doesn't include laying off 230,000 Coloradans. That's what John's plan would do. John would destroy the livelihoods of 230,000 Colorado families because he wants to make their job obsolete. Just a few miles down the road from us, Weld County relies on those jobs. My hometown relies on those jobs. But John Hickenlooper, his plan is to shoot those jobs down. I didn't hear you address your specific votes that were related to the greenhouse gas emissions from power plants and your confirmations to the EPA and the Department of the Interior. Well, look, I, if, you, if you look at the work that we continue to do, the Great American Outdoors Act addresses climate change. If you look at the other votes, uh, I'm sure the number of jobs that they would have cost was too high. I don't think we have to punish our economy in order to achieve reductions in pollution and to address climate change. What, what those rules and regulations would have done is driven up the cost of electricity in Colorado for those who can least afford it. And when it comes to appointees, I'm excited about the fact that Colorado has its Secretary of Interior from Rifle Colorado in place in Washington, D.C. We were just in Colorado breaking ground under Arkansas Valley Conduit. That's the kind of work that we need to continue to do, but I will not destroy the economy in pursuit of a radical, further-than-Green New Deal uh, agenda. I mean, this country is based around the, the notion of free speech, that that is one of our most sacred rights, uh, and we shouldn't lightly discuss it. That being said, we've got to have some confidence in the media that we're, where we're getting our news that, that they're getting real facts. And uh, I think we are long past the time where Facebook and, and, and these large media giants, these behemoth tech companies, they have to be responsible for what, Thank for whether, you, Mr. whether it's truth or, Time or, is up. Or, or untruth. Mr. Gardner, uh, tech, social media, and extremism kind of come together online. Last week, Facebook cracked down on accounts spreading the QAnon conspiracy theory, reclassifying it as a militia. You have campaigned alongside QAnon supporting congressional candidate Lauren Boebert. Uh, for those who don't know, QAnon is the conspiracy theory that President Trump will soon round up and execute Democrats for eating babies. The president himself has praised QAnon believers. If we could start with a yes or no question to kind of guide our conversation on this. Do you share the FBI's view that QAnon is a domestic terror threat? Well, I don't believe in QAnon, and yes, I believe they're a threat. Yeah, no, and I, I've yeah. never heard anybody suggest that you do yeah, believe in it. I was just asking about the, F, about the FBI. Um, to follow up on the larger issue uh, then, so... If you trust the FBI that it's a domestic terror threat, why would you campaign along somebody, alongside somebody who's expressed support for it? Well, if you listen to Lauren Boebert, she says she did not and does not. But she uh, did, and that's, you could just well, Google I think, it. Well, uh, I think if she would listen to her explanation, she talks, look, I'm not here to defend uh, Lauren Boebert for something that she did or didn't say. You can take your interpretation of what she did or didn't say. I take her at her word that she does not believe or support uh, QAnon. That's her fact. Look, the bottom line is extremism is not something that we should accept in this country on the left or the right. And we must condemn that hate every single time that we can. There's no room for white supremacy. There's no room for discrimination in this country. We have to stop uh, people who want to spread that kind of misinformation. Colorado has a choice. Are we going to protect health care for people with pre-existing conditions or are we going to take it away? Are we going to tackle climate change head on and protect our environment? Or are we going to keep rolling back clean air and clean water regulations like we've been doing? Are we going to, are we going to step up and, and give away more tax breaks to corporations and wealthy Americans, or are we going to recreate our economy in a way that, that actually allows more people to create their own American dream? Nothing is going to change if we don't change Washington. 
It's a state that has been made great by early pioneers and Native Americans. It's a state that's been made great by our immigrants who have fought hard in agriculture and engineering and medical sciences. It's a state that this university has played a, a dramatic role in developing. We need somebody in Washington who's going to fight tooth and nail for all four corners of this state. Somebody who believes that I-70 doesn't end in Vail, that I-70 doesn't end in Strasburg, that we value every job, whether it's in Craig, Colorado, or Weld County and Greeley, Colorado, those jobs matter. I've been honored to serve in the United States Senate the last six years as the most, third most bipartisan member of the U.S. Senate, passing more legislation than the entire Colorado congressional delegation combined. I'd be honored to have your support for the next six years as we fight corner to corner for the people of this great state. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard some highlights from the Hickenlooper and Gardner Senate debate. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is our national news highlights for Tuesday. We'd first like to remind listeners the last day to register to vote and vote in person for the general election is tonight. And you can find the address of your local polling place by visiting vote.org slash polling dash place dash locator and typing in your address. Election results may not be available today. Estimates vary on when election results could be ready. The Collegian and CTV will be doing election reporting throughout this time. Dr. Scott Atlas, the coronavirus advisor for the White House, apologized this weekend after being interviewed by RT, a state-backed Russian network. According to Rachel Treisman at National Public Radio, his apology included him saying that he, quote, was unaware that they are a registered foreign agent, end quote. Foreign agents are registered organizations that share propaganda and attempt to influence public policy and opinion in the U.S. Atlas also said, quote, I regret doing the interview and apologize for allowing myself to be taken advantage of. I especially apologize to the national security community who is working hard to defend us, end quote. Alice is a radiologist and became the coronavirus advisor for the White House in August and has promoted the theory of herd immunity. Atlas has previously had a post claiming that masks do not work taken down by Twitter due to a policy against coronavirus-related misinformation. The U.S. Supreme Court has blocked a police officer from suing a Black Lives Matter rally leader due to the suit's potential harm to First Amendment rights. According to David Savage at the Los Angeles Times, the original case was heard in Louisiana by federal court judges who ruled that the police officer could win damages from the protester. The protest leader, DeRay DeRay McKesson, was also not told to have directly caused any harm to the officer, only to have led the protests and lacked action during the officer's attack. The rally occurred following the death of Alton Sterling at the hands of two police officers, and the officer suing was injured after protesters began throwing items, one of which being a rock or a piece of concrete which struck the unnamed officer. Shops in many U.S. cities are putting up plywood to protect windows in preparation for the election. According to Alina Selyuk at NPR, stores such as Target and Macy's are boarding up in major cities like Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, Denver, and New York City. In a statement to NPR, jewelry store Tiffany said, quote, 
while we intend to remain open where possible, out of an abundance of caution, the windows of select stores in cities will be boarded in anticipation of potential election-related activity, end quote. The nation's capital has most notably boarded up ahead of the election, with murals being painted on plywood boards. City officials in D.C. have not reported any credible threats of violence related to the election, and guidance never... An election guidance never recommended boarding up windows. That's all for national news highlights. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll be right back. Um, my first question is: Cory Gardner claims several times that he is the third most bipartisan member of Congress. What does that mean, and is it true? Um, that is pretty true. It comes from a report put on by the Luger Center and Georgetown University's uh, Court School of Public Policy. Um, the report lists Cory Gardner as the third most bipartisan senator as of 2019. The report bases these off of how many bills that the senators co-sponsor and how many um, co-sponsors they get on their own bills from the other party. Um, Cory Gardner also accused John Hickenlooper and presidential candidate Joe Biden of wanting to pack the Supreme Court if Democrats, if Democrats win the election. Uh, could you explain what court packing is and what Hickenlooper had to say about it? Yeah, so court packing is when you add justices to the Supreme Court until you get a balance that goes in your party's favor. And Gardner was saying that Joe Biden and John Hickenlooper have refused to state whether or not they are in support of this, which is mostly true. Hickenlooper at the debate did somewhat actually say what his favor was and that he is not in favor of court packing, but prior to it, he has not made a statement on it and has instead diverted the conversation to whether or not um, they should be confirming a new justice Um, my third question, the Affordable Care Act was debated at length tonight, including the importance of protecting of protecting patients with pre-existing conditions. Cory Gardner has authored a short bill that he insisted would protect pre-existing conditions, while John Hickenlooper insisted that Gardner's bill would not. What is really going on? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, when this question was directly targeted at, at Gardner, he very explicitly said, like, that's my bill, and insisting that it kind of covered everything that might need to be covered with pre-existing conditions, despite policy being as vague as it is. Having an eight-line bill is, is something that's not exactly comprehensive or something that's not exactly concrete. And he was really hammered for that. Um, I think that's really what both of them were getting at, was that Gardner's bill wasn't long, it wasn't comprehensive yet. Um, but Gardner really insisted it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, that, that that vagueness really covered what needed to be discussed around pre-existing conditions and the coverage in it. Um, so it, it's not nearly as, like a lot of the conversations that went on tonight, nearly as black and white as it is. Um, but it, it, that was really what, what Gardner wanted to insist on was, was this idea that the eight lines were going to cover what needed to be covered around pre-existing conditions. And Hickenlooper really hammered him on that as far as those conversations. Would you mind talking about the ways in which Hickenlooper was hammering on him? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the biggest one that that Hickenlooper said was that it, to repeal the Affordable Care Act, um, that was really what what both of them were kind of getting at was that Court Gardner had wanted to repeal the Affordable Care Act um, and that Hickenlooper had wanted to do the same thing except to 
or excuse me, not to do the same thing, but to to adjust some things with it with around pre-existing conditions. Um, and so that was really what what Dick and Luther went after Cory Gardner with was that the bill wasn't comprehensively helping support um, the folks who would have been most directly uh, most directly affected by the repealment of, of the ACA of the Affordable Care Act. Um, that was really where the question was staged was, I think Kyle Clark had directly asked um, the, the folks who were disproportionately going to be affected were mostly black and Latino communities. And Gardner didn't really have, I think, if I remember a, a really comprehensive response to that. I'm not Serena, if you remember too much about that specific line? Um, yeah, I would agree with that. And I would say that um, I think part of what Hickenlooper was getting at Gardner was why he was voting to repeal the ACA mm. and have this other really short bill to protect people with pre-existing conditions as opposed to just keeping the ACA yeah. or um, amending it. Yeah, that's great. Um, uh, the last question here. There is a lot of debate around weighing environmental protection against mm -hmm. the economy and jobs. Um, Gardner insisted that Hickenlooper wants to shut down coal entirely for the environmental benefit, but without taking care of people who work in coal. Is that true, or is there more? Yeah, and this is this is obviously a huge topic for Colorado um, around kind of weighing environmental benefits with with a lot of these jobs that they come from the state and coal and in gas, um, and really what what Gardner kept hammering at him at was this issue around supporting uh, climate transitions and shutting down coal plants with which Hickenlooper has repeatedly said um, and really touted and how it affects the people in those communities. And I mean, this is an issue that's been continuously rebuttaled was this idea of there's no concrete evidence that removing jobs from an industry means that the jobs just disappear. It just means they become other jobs. Um, so there's a lot of gray there. And that's an issue that is really talked about along, along policy lines around these issues around environmental jobs and in, in older gray economy things of if there's going to be these issues around shutting down coal plants and stuff, what does transition look like? Um, and both of them very clearly stuck on one end of that or the other. Hickenlooper repeatedly said like, no, we have to transition and create all these green jobs without necessarily specifically talking on what that could look like and what that transition process looks like, which is the hard part of that conversation. Um, meanwhile, Cory Gardner really went after him with like, these jobs are gone, like these these lives are going to be directly impacted by it without necessarily clarifying that that transition process is something that is, is really the full story. And there's a lot more to that that, that can really be gone into. Sure. Um, would you mind talking, do you know, is there an example of the way green jobs are coming up in the West or especially in Colorado? Sure. And less so in Colorado, but especially uh, north of Colorado and Wyoming, there's there's a lot of conversations around these, these regions that were really traditionally involved in, in coal um, and how wind energy, because of the way the plains work in, in kind of the Rocky Mountain region, um, wind energy is a really big economy thing here. And it's something that's really growing and, and slowly. Now, the question then becomes, you know, an individual who comes from a coal community and grew up doing that job for multiple generations, um, can you just suddenly have a conversation with them about transitioning their entire livelihood and, and their jobs around to a brand new economy and a brand new profession. Um, and that's really where a lot of the debate is. And that's something that there's faculty here working on a lot of issues there. There's faculty at the state. Um, and so that, that transition and that growth of green jobs is something that has been supported. The question that then becomes, are candidates going to be able to support policy that helps individuals transition without, you know, someone over here gaining a job while someone over here in a coal plant necessarily loses it? 
great. Um, obviously, there's a lot more to talk about, especially with these debates. But in general, news in this country is always crazy and always changing. And Colorado is in a lot of ways at the crux of those changes. Um, thanks for listening. If you want more news from our radio station, tune into the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m. And um, up next is DJ London with Late Night Loops. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Dakota Babcock, and this is COVID-19 updates for November 3rd. John Elway, the general manager and president of football operations for the Denver Broncos, has tested positive for COVID-19. Elway is continuing to work virtually and quarantining at home. Broncos CEO Joe Ellis has also tested positive. Both Elway and Ellis are currently experiencing mild symptoms, but are in good spirits. According to a team statement, quote, both Joe and John are doing well. They will continue to work from home in self-isolation and participate in virtual meetings while their health is monitored, end quote. Colorado State University currently has a cumulative total of 713 cases of COVID-19 among students, staff, and faculty since May 2020. The university has moved to saliva screenings. The saliva screenings are used to decide if an individual needs a second COVID-19 test through the use of a nasal swab. Moving on to Larimer County, there are currently over 4,500 cases of COVID-19 and 59 deaths related to the virus. The county's risk score has moved well into the high-risk category with 85 new cases in the past 24 hours. Every day in the past two weeks has seen at least 15 new COVID cases, but the county has not seen a single day with over 10% of tests coming back positive. The 14-day case rate for the county is 278 per 100,000 residents and there are 35 COVID-19 patients in the hospital, up from the mid-20s last week. Hospital utilization is at 70%, and ICU utilization is at 62%. The county is experiencing a spike, but it is still at the cautious stage, meaning that while there is a risk, residents are still allowed to go dine-in, work from their offices, and participate in most activities within normal daily life, with precautions such as masks and social distancing. The state of Colorado has over 112,000 cases of COVID-19, and there have been over 2,100 deaths due to COVID-19. The state has tested over 1.2 million people, and there have been over 1,200 outbreaks. Exposure notifications are now ready to be enabled by choice for Colorado residents through their phones to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and assist in testing procedures. Nationwide, there are over 9.4 million cases of COVID-19, with an increase of over 93,000 yesterday. There are currently almost 232,000 deaths, with an increase of 540 yesterday. Over the past two weeks, cases have increased by 44%, and deaths have increased by 13%, meaning the nation may be entering into a third wave. The Midwestern United States continues to be hit hard by this spike, but the Northeast U.S. is experiencing the heaviest spike in deaths. That's all for today's COVID-19 updates. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins with the Rocky Mountain Review. Information for today's segment was provided by Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the New York Times, and the Centers for Disease Control. Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and sometimes we need to get a little bit weird. So here's some of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world today. 
Motorola says that its new Moto Razr smartphone should not arrive in open and used conditions anymore, according to Ron Armadeo at Ars Technica. In February of this year, Motorola released a reboot of its Moto Razr flip phones, which were first released in 2004. The reboot, in place of a keypad and screen, was one foldable smartphone with a touchscreen. A sequel with better specs, called the Razr 5G, came out this October. However, for people ordering the phone on Amazon, they may be slightly surprised. A very interesting note at the bottom of the Amazon product description, which says that your Moto Razr will be open before it gets to you. It's going to be folded. Reading, quote, Note, originally, Razr was meant to be shipped in an unfolded position. However, to better protect the display, we have folded your Razr. It's safer, but it may not look as elegant as we hoped. We apologize if you see fingerprints on your device. We assure you your Razr is brand new, end quote. Motorola's foldable reboot of the Moto Razr had had a tough time surviving in the real world. It had proven extremely fragile, with the tick hinge system and soft plastic flexible display being prone to damage. The issue appears to have arisen because of the box the phone is shipped in. The box doubles as a specialty phone stand, with the phone opened up with a large foam block pressed on it, which apparently caused enough problems to warrant adjusting the phone before shipment. When Ars Technica contacted Motorola, Motorola replied with a statement that they are making a change and shipping the phone folded closed instead of opened. The statement reads, quote, Motorola is packaging the new Razer in its closed form at the factory level. Once the device leaves our facilities, it will not be reopened. As with all products, we'll continue to closely monitor and make additional adjustments as needed to give the best consumer experience, end quote. However, this is not well-received by fans who had already received their manhandled phones. In, a in the Amazon review section, customers seem pretty unhappy about the state of their phones when they arrive. Customer Adolfo A. Sandoval Barrow provided photos of a sliced-up box and writes in their one-star review that, quote, the phone was not brand new. There was not a protector film on the screen. The protector film on the outer screen was offset really bad and the device came folded inside its packaging. Last but not least, when inspecting the lid on the box, I could notice that someone did some hand-cutting inside to or in order to make the lid fit with the phone folded, end quote. Another anonymous one-star reviewer writes, quote, Unbelievable! Received the phone on the same conditions as described in other reviews. Folded, with no film on the inside screen, and cro crooked film on the outside screen. The screen shows very distinct marks from the foldings, but besides packaging issues, the primary reason that convinced me to return the device that I haven't read so far in other reviews is that the screen squeaks when opening and closing, end quote. Three people have been fined for cooking chickens in hot springs in Yellowstone National Park, according to Nate Eden at East Idaho News. A ranger received reports on August 7th that a group was hiding towards Shushone Geyser Basin with cooking pots, a park spokeswoman told EastIdahoNews.com Friday. The ranger responded and discovered two whole chickens in a burlap sack sitting in a hot spring with a cooking pot nearby. The ranger spoke with a group of ten, including a child. An Idaho Falls man and two others were cited for foot travel in a thermal area. He was also ordered to appear in Mammoth Hot Springs Court. The man pleaded guilty to the citation on September 10th. In addition to a charge for violating closures and use limits, he was ordered to pay a $600 fine for each charge and will serve two years of unsupervised probation. During that time, he is banned from Yellowstone National Park. 
This isn't the first time park visitors have been trouble for trying to cook a chicken near a geyser. In 2001, a Seattle television show host and producer dug a hole in the park to show how natural heat could cook chicken. The show was reportedly fined $150 and placed on a two-year probation for disturbing mineral deposits in a national park and stepping off trails near steaming geysers. Traveling off boardwalks or designated trails in hydrothermal areas, along with placing anything into thermal features, is prohibited in Yellowstone. Hot springs have injured or killed more people in the park than any other natural feature, according to Yellowstone's website. A woman who was in labor stopped to vote before going to the hospital, according to Christina Zindanowicz at CNN. A man came into the Orange County Supervisor of Elections Office in Orlando on October 27th to request a vote-by-mail ballot for his wife, who was in labor in the car outside. Karen Brasino gonzalez who works in the Voter Service Department and assisted the woman, said that, quote, I've not seen anything like this before, but our job is to make sure that every eligible voter votes, no matter the circumstances. We're going to ensure that they vote, even if it's someone in labor in a car, end quote. The woman refused to go to the hospital until she voted, the office said. Francino Gonzalez said that she immediately printed off a vote-by-mail ballot and headed out to the car, where she verified the wo uh, woman. The woman was in labor, who had not been named, was calm as she filled out her ballot and the election worker waited outside, Branzino Gonzalez said. Orange County Supervisor of Elections Office spokeswoman Danae Rivera-Mascaro wrote in an email to CNN that, quote, The woman had not been identified, but we hope she and her baby are doing great. And that's it. This was your Weird News on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And now for the weather. Today, we've started to heat up pretty dramatically from last week with a high of 72 and a low of 49. No chance of rain and winds, and no chance of rain with winds reaching about six miles per hour. The skies will be partly cloudy. Tomorrow will just be a bit cooler, but very sunny with temperatures ranging between 41 and 71 degrees with some heavier winds at 13 miles per hour. And once again, no chance of rain. Thursday will cool down a bit more with a high of 67 and a low of 40, once again sunny with no chance of rain. Wind slowing down to just 5 miles per hour, and for Friday, you'll have to tune in this Thursday from 7 to 8 p.m. only on the Rocky Mountain Review. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank Thomas Taylor, Asher Korn, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Griffin Ham, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. I'd also like to thank my amazing co-host Ivy Winfrey, who helps make this show so much fun to produce and be a part of. Dear listener, thank you for being a great audience. And with that, we'll see you next time. Please remember to cast your ballots tonight if you have not already. 